You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown, episode 137, is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SCC. Joining me this episode is Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Reed or uh, on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his website ReadAndReaction.com. Will, uh, I don't, we're not going to bury the lead much more. He's back. He's back. <laughs> we need to get him a hat, Dave. We got to get him a hat. <laughs> What's up, freaks? <laughs> that is Bill Sykes. That is Bill Sykes, people. Yeah, I, I am back. Uh, it is true. Uh, I was being called a liar. Say people saying I wasn't going to be back on. They didn't believe me. Well, here I am. I'm back on the show. Well, and yes, uh, I, I did get a haircut for the summer. So I think people were thinking I had you in shackles and put you on a desolated island, and you were, you know, not being fed, didn't have beer. Well, if that's what you want to call Florida and all the bass fishing I've been doing, but you know, <laughs> but yeah, I, I am in the sunshine state, and uh, and I'm, I'm glad to be home and uh, having a great time. It's just been kind of a busy spring with vacation and you know, just kind of everything going on. Man, he's well, got the tan going, so this is evidence that I didn't bury him behind the drywall when we were doing the base. But a couple of people accused me of that. So you're gonna you're gonna have to get me back out there to to Philly before you can do that. That's gonna be a tall order. <laughs> well, this time of year, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Will, I just think what we're going to do is you and I are going to be quiet for the next 45 minutes and just let Bill go. Hey, that's what the people want. I mean, you know, we're, we're chopped liver. The minute you announced he was back, it was like, you know, Twitter was on fire. So we're, we're glad to have him back and we'll, we'll let him uh, give the people what they want. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, I got how many spreadsheets <laughs> I'm on up tonight? Line one. <laughs> Because even people uh, on the uh, 24-7 sports, uh, Swamp 24-7 now, if you guys didn't know, but even they were wondering where Bill was. So Bill hasn't only been absent from the podcast. He's been absent from uh, a lot of other things as well. Just, uh, But nothing, nothing bad, just uh, life, life gets in the way sometimes. Yeah, I've been on special assignment with the government. Uh, the Russians were tampering with the star rating system and uh, had to kind of infiltrate that. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get him out. <laughs> yeah. No, I've just been taking a break, man. Just enjoying being back in Florida. That's the honest truth. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, remember, you can find all your Gators Breakdown episodes on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Uh, 
on there as well. You can find links to iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, whichever way you prefer. Also, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and on Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And hey, when you're on iTunes, please rate and review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. And Bill, just kind of quickly, we know spring practice has, has started and um, kind of, of course, the hot topic for the last, uh, you know, um, two and a half weeks now uh, when it started. You know, general, and, you know, of course, we'll dive into, of course, quarterback and uh, some other positions. But just general, your general feel of uh, Dan Mullen's first two and a half uh, weeks on the, on, on the field. To be expected. Uh, exactly what I expected. This It's going to be a little bit of a rough transition. You're, you're getting um, a complete overhaul of, of every system in the program is being overhauled. Uh, the personnel is being reviewed. They're going to be toying with things. Uh, going from uh, a pro style, if that's what you want to call it, offense, to uh, Dan Mullen's iteration of the spread, as he likes to say. He calls it a spread. Can we, uh, call, it, can we, can we call it the previous no style? We can call it offensive, <laughs> but, but yeah, and then you're going from you know a uh, lot of nickel and four three to sort of a three four. I know we've talked about the one gap and how there might be some, uh, and, and there's been some word that they may sit in the nickel a lot because of the uh, personnel at linebacker and things like that. But everything's changing, so it's going to be upheaval. Um, yes, I would have loved to have seen all the quarterbacks firing on all cylinders uh, in the scrimmage, but. Guys, first scrimmage, first year, I expected some chaos. And I, and I think that there is a little bit of a sour taste because, you know, Franks and some of the others struggled at, at QB. But this is going to take a little time, and we're going to have to be a little patient. I just – we got to see keep seeing the, the good processes go in place. We need to see some progress in the recruiting front, and the rest is going to take care of itself because we continue to see positive things uh, out of what Mullen is doing. He's engaging the fans and great returns in strength and conditioning. We see some player development going on. I'm encouraged. I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not sounding any alarms a week into practice. Yeah, I think that's part of it too. It's not to overreact uh, to, to to the scrimmage. Uh, of course, that was the the big bullets flying and offense versus defense and ones on ones and twos on ones and twos versus twos, all that good stuff. Uh, so I don't think we'll take too much from that. But you know, it's halfway through spring practice, and I think you know many of the same questions fans had going in are still there. Basically, for a lot of reasons you pointed out, there's a lot of tinkering going on. Um, and they're just trying to figure out who can fit where and still trying to figure out that quarterback position. And, you know, we'll start from there. Uh, been talked ad nauseum. Uh, Robbie Andrew had his stats. Frank 7-22 to for 127 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions. Trask, Kyle Trask, 12-18 of 18 for 182 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. So uh, most know I've been higher on Franks than I have Kyle Trask, and mostly due to just not seeing enough of, of Trask and him not having the experience a good majority of the time, a, a two-star quarterback isn't going to uh, you know, beat a highly touted four-star quarterback that Franks was. Uh, but there was a reason we were all excited for Emory Jones coming here. You know, it's a highly ranked, a highly touted four-star quarterback uh, made for Dan Mullen's system. I just needed to see more out of college trash since there was nothing out there in live college game situations. Uh, now, I'm not really surprised too much at how Trask looked. I'm still just more surprised that Felipe Franks didn't show the same potential in the scrimmage when it's as close to a game situation uh, in the new offense that they're going to – you know, it's as close as they're going to be in that to another scrimmage and then a spring game coming up. So I don't want to take too much out of one performance, but it's hard not to correlate Franks' performance too much of what we saw last season. So, you know, we'll see what happens moving forward. Can, can France continue to be the most consistent uh, in, in the coming practices and then put it 
all together when the bullets are flying or, or will the battle continue to be neck and neck and then Kyle Trask separates himself again in those live type of situations because there will be a time when those live situations will, will be a determining factor in who gets named the starter and not just the practice performances. Yeah, and you're going to kind of hear me qualify as we go. Uh, and right off the bat, like a couple of people were like, hey, you guys are polling on on who's going to win the starting job after this this one uh, one scrimmage, and that's a little bit premature. No, it's a lot premature, and, and I know that, but we are all you know geeks for Florida football, and, and I think just about everybody that listens to the podcast is tuned in because they want to know what's going on, and they want to talk about it, and we want to take it every step of the way and say, you know, which way are things turning now and, and what's changing. And, and um, we're going to kind of get into some of the poll results and pepper those in, but yeah, this is one scrimmage. Um, Frank certainly didn't have a good showing. Uh, Trask maybe uh, asserted himself uh, the best amongst the quarterbacks. Uh, the one thing I think people need to realize here is that is Mullen is conducting, especially the early scrimmages, this is not about saying, let's see whether the first or second team wins or let's see if this guy can lead us to victory. I think it's a lot more fundamental at this point because this is, yes, there are times when they can see them go through snaps and drills and throwing the ball and firing off the ball. But when, as far as with helmets on and pads on a formal practice, this is the first time they find out, can Franks read the smash concept we want to throw? You know, can um, – Sean Davis come up and, and fill where we want him to on a certain read. Can Antonius Clayton set the edge or can he rush the passer? It's little things. And so the play calls on both sides of the ball, it's not going to be just, hey, let's see if they can score a touchdown here. It's, hey, let's run this because it's going to put this player in this position against this look and let's get this on tape. And so you, you still got evaluations going on. They're finding out what they've got as a team and see if they can piece another of those advantages on the individual level and on the unit level together and their plan to win in the fall. So you've got to take what happens in these scrimmages with a grain of salt. Yeah, it is interesting though that, that the scrimmage was was open. You know, that, that that people could come in, accumulate stats, that they could put those things out there on Twitter. That's not something I necessarily re remember coming from the McElwain regime. And so I do think it's a sign that Mullen is willing to put his guys out there and say, you know what, you're going to have to deal with the criticism in the fall, so we're going to let you deal with it all spring long and then all fall practice long. And certainly that's something that comes out of this. I, I certainly agree with you, Bill, that I don't think we want to overreact too much to one practice, to one scrimmage, but at the same time, um, when the same things that you saw from the previous year crop up, then that's something that you need to be a little bit concerned about. And, you know, seven of 22 is, is really is just, just a bad sign. And, uh, you know, it's a data point. It's one data point, but it's a continuation of some data points we've already gotten. And certainly I think that's why the Florida fan base is getting a little bit riled up about, about Frank's performance. But, uh, but, you know, we'll see what happens in the spring game. Certainly there will probably be a few more practices that are open. Everyone who's watched the practices has said that Franks has really been the best player back there. And I'm assuming was sort of surprised at the performance that he put on during the scrimmage. But, you know, that's also kind of what we heard last year is that Franks was playing really, really well in practice. And then when the games, when the lights came on, it, he struggled a little bit. So, um, you know, and, and the other thing is, is that, a lot of the guys who are early enrollees, somebody like Emory Jones, um, you can't expect him to have a full grasp of the playbook at this point. Again, they're putting him in situations they want to see him at, but by the time the fall comes around, he should be much more versed in the playbook and maybe be more of a factor if, in fact, he does have, if, in fact, he's going to have the ability to be a starter next year. 
Yeah, because yeah, hey, Bill, yeah I, I just want to real will kind of went right into my question there, and it, it actually goes to the end out there. Is time running out for Felipe Franks? And one reason I asked that is say Emory Jones gets better practice by practice by practice, has a pretty good spring game. You know, you're going into fall, say Franks just doesn't really progress much more than what we see. Like we hear he's still practicing good, but spring game rolls around and, and it's still kind of just more of the same. Say, you know, Kyle Trask is, is number one guy. Emory Jones is making improvements. You expect him to get better by game one when that when that rolls around. Is time running out for Felipe Franks? Yes. Yes and no. Um, I, first of all, I agree with what Will said. And I didn't want to say for one second, like I'm trying to excuse a poor performance. And it is very concerning that Frank struggled to, to the extent that he did. Um, but can is it is it running out on him? Yes. It, it, it's running out on you from the day you show up on campus. But how quickly time is running out on him? And, and I understand your meaning is, hey, is he about to lose gra- ground to Emory Jones and maybe Trask? Yes, maybe. Uh, but that is – completely relative to how fast they can ascend mm-hmm. because it depends on them to make up that ground because there's a very real scenario here where Trask just had better play calls, a more favorable personnel group. Maybe he wasn't facing the same, same pressure packages. I'm just saying it's plausible that we, he is not a, separating himself from Frank's yet. And if he is not, you could see a scenario where if Jones can – can, let's say he struggles to pick things up and is a slower developer, or maybe Mullen just feels like the guy needs a redshirt year. That maybe Frank's is your starting quarterback at this point, you know. And so, yes, time is very. There's a very real possibility that time could quickly slip, slip away from Frank's, but I think it's just too early to say how fast that's going to happen. Now, if you start to see Jones thrive in first team reps, if he starts asserting himself with his legs and kind of starts to hone in on his accuracy a little bit then yeah, then Franks could have a real problem on his hands. But I don't think it's time to proclaim it yet. Again, I I think it's one practice that we happen to see, right? And so if he's performing better than everybody else in all the other practices, then I don't think time's running out on him at all. He also doesn't have the history of last year with Mullen. Obviously, Mullen can go look at the tape, but he doesn't have that history last year. So it's not as if McIlwain's coming back for a fourth year and Franks was a quarterback last year and struggled. Oh, he's still struggling with the same stuff. We got to try something else. It's a completely new system. You would expect him to have some bumps in the road as he adapts to that system. They're the only ones who know what he does when, when no one else is seeing it. And so, you know, if he's underperforming, then obviously the time's running out. But the fact that they've still got him running with the ones, the fact that he's still starting, I think is indicative of the fact that, you know, no one has at least separated themselves and, and climbed above him. And so at that point, I'm not ready to say time's running out. I know it's running out with the fan base, which is the thing they're going to have to be careful of, is that Twitter was going nuts last weekend <laughs> of people who immediately jumped on Trask as the, as the starter for next year. And probably many of the same people who had tweeted at us the week before when we talked about whether Trask had a chance of being a starter and said, no way. So, you know, I, I think for the fan base, that's what you got to watch out for is that, you know, the Florida fan base is demanding and, and that's a good thing when things are going well. And it could be a hard thing when things are going poorly. And, uh, you know, it, like I said, it was interesting that Mullen had the scrimmage open. And then you're going to have another data point for the spring game. And if Frank struggles in both of those, the fan base is going to be the thing that's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, you know, oh, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I mean, and, and Will brought this up last weekend and, and going into, you know, my worry last year with the Felipe Franks and, and Malik Zaire thing was I've been tired of seeing 
time after time again, year after year, a quarterback competition, and it goes up until game one. And you know they're splitting reps up until uh, that first game. You know, hopefully, what turns out either way, whether it's Franks, whether it's Trask, Emory Jones is going to have a package. And there's going to be times where he's in a a game with the first teams, I think, with the first teamers, whether it it be to be in that Tebow role where he's converting third and short or fourth and short or, or, you know, he's, he's, he's past enough. He's accurate enough to where they want to throw him in. He, that fake Tebow run and take a step back and and throw a ball 30, 40 yards down the field. He's going to have his chances to do that. So that's also going to be practicing those type of plays. I, I, hopefully, and we, and we won't get a starter by the end of spring, I don't think. And, I, and plus, I, I trust Dan Mullen to make the decision here. But it would be nice when fall rolls around and after a week or or, or so that, hey, we're rolling with Felipe Franks or, hey, we're rolling with Kyle Trask. These are going to be the guys. and They're going to take the number one reps for the next, you know, three, four weeks by the time we play Charleston Southern. You know, I don't know, man. You said something there that, and we were kind of talking about this before the show. That I'm, I honestly don't know if I agree with it or not. Uh, will Emory Jones have that package to add that element to the offense? And we would assume yes, because you look at the roster, and he's probably the only guy that can add that from the quarterback position. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, Will. I think I just offended you. <laughs> I, forgot. <laughs> I forgot about Kadarius Dolan. But, <laughs> but, uh, he's, but I, I think he's going to have packages too. Right. But here's my point here. There were three quarterbacks that Dan Mullen recruited to Mississippi State who went on to become full-time starters. That was Tyler Russell, Dak Prescott, and Nick Fitzgerald. All three of them redshirt. And while Nick Fitzgerald certainly wasn't going to unseat Dak Prescott and Dak Prescott kind of came on slowly and you know they had Tyler Russell who was pretty good for them Um, and so they didn't necessarily need him this first year situation that we're looking at here uh, for Dan Mullen Florida is very similar statistically on offense to what he inherited at Mississippi State because uh, he took Tyler Russell who I believe was a four-star recruit in his first recruiting class not quite as high as Emory Jones, but relative to Mississippi State, he was a prized quarterback recruit, you know, and uh, their quarterback um, the first year uh, was Tyson Lee. In 2008, the year before Mullen arrived, he threw for 1,519 yards, seven touchdowns, and five interceptions for a 113 quarterback rating. Well, in 2017, Florida's quarterback, Felipe Franks, had exactly the same quarterback rating, 113.3, or at least within a point. Uh, nine touchdowns, eight interceptions, only 14, 38 yards. So they're within 100 yards of each other. Um, both mid to high 50s completion ratios or percentages, very similar to what he's inherited. And even though he had Tyler Russell come in, he redshirted it. And so it makes me think there is a, a plausible scenario again where he says, hey, wait a minute, I'm thinking about the long term here, and maybe we don't see Emory Jones if he doesn't feel like he's ready to go or it will hurt the long-term plan. Well, and you're not going to have packages for nine different guys back there in the Wildcats. <laughs> so, so if you've got a package for Tony back there, then well, I don't Dre, know Dre, that Dre you Massey, necessarily – won't have a package either? <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as long as they're on the get-to list, we'll be all right, right? So uh, – 
No. So I don't. I, if you've got a package for Tony, I don't know that you need a package for for Emory Jones. And then in that case, why not save the year for him if you don't think he's going to be an integral part of what you're going to do? And also, you know, the Tebow role was critical to winning a national championship. So they burned a year of his eligibility in order to win a national championship, that's worth it. Mm-hmm. Is it worth burning a year of eligibility to go nine and three instead of eight and four? I don't know. And if you make that, if you make that calculus, if you're mulling and just say, Hey, we're going to roll with what we've got. We think it's good enough. We think we have enough playmakers. Um, a lot of it depends on what happens out at wide receiver with Van Jefferson and, and Trayvon Grimes. You know, if, if they can both play, then you have the ability to bring, Tony inside. So I, I think there are a lot of questions that need to be answered before you really talk about whether there are specific packages for, for specific players. Um, you know, um, Emory Jones looked really good on tape running the ball, but it wasn't like it was a running offense or anything like that. It, he wasn't, it wasn't something where I looked at it and said, wow, like that guy could be a running back. It's he's a very good running back with a, or a very good running quarterback with a strong arm and, and does a lot of other things well as well. Well, I know Seth Silvani, one of our Twitter followers, responded to my poll, and he says he doesn't think Jones will play as a true freshman. Um, I know Dylan Brooks asked us if he thought that Mullen would put together that Tebow-like, you know, or Wildcat package for for Jones. Uh, you know, and I will say this: even though I listed off the reason why I think it might not happen, it's not without precedent under Mullen. In 2013, Damian Williams played as a true freshman in six games, passed for almost 300 yards, 112 on the ground. And then this past year, Keaton Thompson, um, I think he took over for Dick Fitzgerald when he was hurt. But even so, he had he played in 10 games. So it's not like he was just, you know, inserted after the injury. And he had 388 yards passing, 446 rushing. So, you know, it, it's just a matter, I think, of how Mullen views that experiment that he conducted at the beginning of his Mississippi State tenure. Does he feel like that went right or did it go wrong? And I think he's going to look at that and look at his personnel now and, do what he thinks is best. It's really hard to predict. So, Bill, you you mentioned it, and I, I posted a poll last week, but we'll go back to it. But you posted a poll this week. We've got we had the scrimmage results. Uh, we've had you know uh, that was the uh, and that was the reason I, I posed the question: Would Kyle Trask start a game, uh, basically over Felipe Franks? And the answer was sixty percent. Franks would start basically over Kyle Trask. But since the uh, scrimmage from last Friday, you kind of posed the same question uh, on Twitter today or yesterday. Yeah, I did. And it just um, it just got knocked off my screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had like 1,800 responses. Let me see if I can uh, find this for you, buddy. He's rusty, folks. He's rusty. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, this is – who can search the internet the fastest right now? <laughs> there it is. Sorry, there guys. <laughs> yeah, we had uh, 1,795 votes when, when I said, uh, following UF's first screen, spring scrimmage, who do you expect to eventually win the quarterback job and why? And we promised we'd discuss the answers on tonight's show, and, of course, we will. Uh, overwhelmingly well, – at least I'd say overwhelmingly like – 55%, uh, which is twice as much as the next best candidate, 55% of the vote went to Kyle Trask. Uh, then the next uh, candidate was Felipe Franks with 22% of the vote. Then Emory Jones was third with 21%. So it's pretty evenly split now between Felipe and Emory for second place. And then the fourth option I gave uh, was Allen, um, Tony, or other, meaning like a grad transfer. And uh, only 2% among those being Will Miles voted for that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so 
after this, this the scrimmage obviously changed some minds and people were like, hey, if Franks isn't getting it now, yeah. he's not going to get it. And I understand that. I understand that. Maybe it doesn't work out that way, but I get it. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you go and look at it, and it, look, it didn't surprise me that it was. There were a lot of people on the fence anyway, and going back to Felipe Franks's performance last year, um, it was just uh, some people in the mold that I was wait and see for Kyle Trask. There was still so many people from what we saw of Felipe Franks last year in wait and see mode on Felipe Franks as well because it, it was so ugly, and they were still not sure that even though Dan Mullen coming in can fix Felipe Franks, and I still. Don't know if that's yet to be determined. That's kind of what we've talked about here uh, at, at this point so far. Still yet to be determined, but you know the, the evidence is starting to pile up for for plenty uh, of fans out there if whether Dan Mullen can save Felipe Franks. Yeah, well, and fixing him is a relative term. I mean, you know, are you expecting Baker Mayfield? Are you expecting Austin Appleby? Like, what what does fixing mean? Because yeah. a QB rating of one thirteen, nine touchdowns, and eight interceptions. Fixing can be 15 touchdowns, six interceptions, and a QB rating of, you know, 129. And then you really are talking about somebody who played sort of like Luke Del Rio or who played like uh, or played like Austin Appleby. And that's okay if you run for 800 yards. And so, you know, how he can participate in the running game, I think, is maybe one of the things we're really going to have to watch for, particularly in the spring game, is if Franks is running, if they've got the quarterbacks live and Franks is running and he's doing that well, well, that adds a dimension to the offense that wasn't there last year and, and opens up the field a little bit. And he doesn't necessarily need to be an elite passer for the offense to just be serviceable. And the offense, you know, if, if you look at Mississippi State, there was significant improvement under Mullen year one. And I think that's something that we can expect to see in year one at Florida, irrespective of who's a quarterback, just because there's that going to be that extra threat of the quarterback running. Here's the, here's the caveat to that, though. And, and you're absolutely right. And I actually tweeted today uh, that the rush offense under Mullen went from 105th in 2008, excuse me, right before Mullen got there, I meant, uh, to his first year, they went from 105th all the way to ninth. Uh, it doesn't get much bigger than that. I think it went from 11th to first in the SEC. Uh, you know, the, the scoring offense went from 115th to second, 72nd. The total offense went from 113 to 65th. And uh, here's the kicker, though. The passing offense took a step back in year one. It went from 94th down to 113. And that's very similar to where Florida uh, was is at this, this past year. In 2017, they were 109th in total offense. 75th in rushing, 101st in passing, 108th in scoring. So the one thing I will say is that, and this is only one time that he's done this, but the, the passing offense took a while. Now, before anybody freaks out on that, I do want to say that it got better over the years. It went from 94th to 113th, then it went to 86th. Then it did back down to 94th, but then year five, it was 58, then 53, then 22, then 14, and then it kind of took a step back again under Fitzgerald. So – He's got a good history with getting the offense in the right direction. Just understand the passing offense, depending on how things work out at quarterback, could take some time. Well, and it's interesting that you, that you what you said there. The offense improved significantly in terms of yards per rush, in terms of actual rushing. The points per game improved eh, 15, 20 spots. It did not improve massively. And that's, you know, that's one of the problems is that points correlate to yardage through the air. They don't necessarily correlate very well to yardage on the on the ground, and so yeah, the running game may be may be better this year, but is that actually going to have an impact on 
getting across the end zone and, you know, big plays correlate with scoring. It's pretty clear that it's not red zone efficiency. It's not any of that stuff. Usually big plays are what, are what gets you to score. And, you know, Florida, the running game, that's not typically where the big plays come from. So, you know, we can be encouraged that the running game may be a little bit better under Mullen. Again, I think it's one data point, right? It's 2008, 2009. You look at that and you say, Hey, that's encouraging that the offense got better, that the running game got better. Okay. The passing game took a step back, but then he improved that going forward in years two, three, and four. Um, You know, but, but really the passing offense is what's going to make the offense hum and what's really important to get this, to get this system going. Yeah, and it, and it may take time. And, and look, what Mullen may just see, and I think what we see is the stable of running backs that Florida has is pretty good. Uh, and, Will, on, on your latest on reading reaction, you, you took a look at, at Florida's running backs and asking the question, can that group carry the offense? Well, you know, what we've been talking about so far, they did, they just may have to. And I, I've been under the, the thought of they've been kind of missing their home run threat this spring because I think Malik Davis was kind of the only proven uh you know, home run threat, a guy who could take the ball, uh, you know, 60, 70, 80 yards uh, for a score. You know, I don't think Jordan Scarlett's that type of back. LaMichael Piran's not that type of back. Or Darius Lemons maybe from what we've seen uh, from a couple of highlights he shared. Uh, he shared some from the scrimmage where he had a 90-yard run, uh, another one where he took a dump-off pass from Kyle Trask, and it was like 35, 40 yards down the field. Uh, that he took so they may have some explosiveness with uh, Darius Lemons uh, so you know you have a, a stable of backs you know Iverson Clement and Damian Pierce coming in as well uh, it looks like Lemons and Davis may be that home run threat uh, and then just you know Jordan Scarlett the, the bulldozer uh, can get can get some chunk yardage but you know I don't think he's the, the home run threat rating to happen like the other guys and Michael Piran you know it been so-so uh, pretty average but you know this guy th- these guys as a collective group may have to be what carries this offense. Well, sure. I mean, the the Florida offense from a rushing perspective, at least yards per rush was in like the 60s last year. And if you figure that the offense finished down in the hundreds, <laughs> that was really sort of the only bright spot. But I do think people misremember what Scarlett like how good Scarlett was two years ago. I mean, he was a very good back, but he was not an elite back. Now, the game against LSU, he was very, very, very good. But a lot of that, um, if you go back and look at the tape, was the offensive line was blowing LSU back. And and Scarlett was taking advantage of that, you know, eight, nine, ten yards at a time. But, you know, two years ago, he averaged five yards a rush. So 179 attempts for 889 yards, five yards a rush. P. Ryan had 136 attempts for 562. So he averaged 4.1. Malik Davis had 79 attempts for 526, and he averaged 6.7. And then Lemons had 19 carries for 136. So he averaged 7.2. But 89 of those yards came against UAB. And so, you know, the question is, is it because of the competition that he was that he was playing against, or is it because of uh, – or is it because he's a really good player? And I mean, it's probably a little bit of both, but you know, in the article, what I was talking about was basically, you know, how do we quantify how good a running back is? And, and really there are two ways to do it. One is through their usage rate. So, you know, there are only a few players who get more than 300 carries in a season. So Bo Scarborough a few years ago got 395 carries and he averaged 5.6 yards per rush. And 5.2 is about is about the average yards per rush the players get. So typically, if you get 300 carries, you're above that average because they're only giving the ball that many times to an above average player. The other thing is, is that from an efficiency standpoint, that yards per rush becomes really important as you get lower carries because there's a penalty associated with having more and more and more opportunities, right? It's, it's harder to break. That long 90-yard run you hit contributes less to the average as you have, as you have more and more carries. So somebody like Bryce Love... For, for Stanford, averaged something like 
8.1 yards per rush last year and carried it over 200 times. That's really, really impressive. You look at Scarlett, he carried it 179 times and averaged five yards a rush. It's average. I mean, it's more yardage than, than the 50th percentile, but it's below the 50th percentile in terms of his efficiency. So he's a good player. Like I don't think there's any doubt about that. He, but he's not. He's not a game breaker. He's not. We're not getting a top ten running back coming in now. Certainly, you can point to the offensive line. You can point to the struggles at quarterback, and you can point to the coaching staff and say, "Hey, he's primed for a breakout year because all those things are going to change." And maybe that's true. I just don't know that you can count on it from a historical perspective. And like I mentioned earlier. Rushing offense doesn't necessarily correlate to points. Passing offense does. And so to say, hey, we're going to run it 65% of the time, give it to these guys, and they're going to carry the offense, I think is a stretch looking at the history of these guys and looking at, looking at, uh, at, at how they've performed thus far in the field. Yeah, listen, I, I think that there's a chance that Scarlett has a big year. I mean, Mullins had, I think, five different – running backs rushed for over a thousand yards and those guys averaged when they hit a thousand, they went well over a thousand average, like 1182 a year. Um, so it's, it's certainly not without precedent that we see him break out and, and maybe he becomes that guy. Uh, I'm kind of with you. I, I look at him as a very good ball carrier. I'd like to see him continue to develop as uh, in the passing game, uh, both as a blocker and receiver I just I don't put him up there on that Dalvin Cook level. I'm just being honest, and that's just that's that's just me with my eyeballs, you know. And feel free to disagree. Um, I, I think they're going to be very good at running back this year, but they really could use somebody to step up and be great. Well, and Malik Davis, I think, does fit that profile, both with his yards per average and also with the explosion that we saw just turning like negative plays into two-yard runs and things like that. The concern I have with him is his health. I mean, nobody knows. It's been a very mysterious knee injury, mm-hmm. and, and we're not sure what his, what his level of health is. And so to say he's a major cog in the offense, especially early on, you know, I just don't know that we can say that because we don't know what his health's going to be. I mean, he may come out and be fantastic, and that would be great. And I'll I'll love the crow on this if he comes out and plays great because I don't. There's nothing better than if I'm being negative and somebody comes out and proves me wrong because that means Florida's winning. But you look at history of knee injuries and significant knee injuries, and usually it takes a full year for a player to get back, and they're not back to who they were from an explosion standpoint until two years past the injury. And if that's the case, well, then we're not going to see that same explosion this year. And I mentioned in the article, Nick Chubb was unbelievable from an efficiency and a usage standpoint at Georgia until he tore his knee ligament, and then it took him a couple of years to get back to where he was. And that may be something that we're dealing with with Davis, and you know, it's okay. It's it. it you know, it, it is what it is, but I, to count on him being the same explosive player game one, I think is, is, is really putting too much pressure on him. I mean, we just want to see him go out there and stay healthy and, 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 you know, really get some hits on the field. And I think that's true of the entire unit right now. I mean, we, you know, we actually were debating somebody that had, you know, said that every running back Florida has could be in the rotation at every school in America. And that was six deep. And I just think that's ludicrous. I mean, it, I just don't think they've proven that. Um, but even so, even if they are all that good, here's what they're up against. Over two-thirds of the time in Dan Mullen's offense, the quarterback is going to be in the top two in both carries and rushing mm-hmm. yards. So they're going to have diminished opportunities. I, I, you're not going to see, I don't think, maybe okay, if just something crazy happens, could you see two running backs with 750 yards I don't see it. I'm looking across his stats, and um, 
I maybe think, maybe this year. Maybe this year, but I, I still kind of don't think that happens. Um, I think you're going to see a couple of guys in the 300 range. You know, one guy maybe gets a thousand, whether it be Scarlett or whoever. And I think the guys like Tony. I think the guys like Malik Davis if he's healthy. And I, I don't know Malik Davis could rush to the forefront. Let's say limits and Tony. I think those guys get you know, spottier touches. And so I think that they make big plays in, in spots, but I don't think you're going to see them just pile up yardage every week. Yeah. The other thing I think to take into account is that, you know, in 2014, I'm not sure Mullen knew exactly what he had with Dak Prescott and he ran him 210, 210 times for 986 yards. In 2015, he knew exactly what he had with Dak Prescott and he ran him 160 times. So he ran him 50 times less from 2014 to 2015 because he was trying to protect his quarterback because he knew he needed him on the field chucking the ball around. There's nobody that he's going to put in to start that I imagine he's going to feel like he needs to protect. And so, you know, down in the red zone when you need a yard or two and you need to, and you've got numbers, the quarterback's going to run the ball. And, uh, you know, the, those sorts of opportunities are going to go to him. I, I think you're right, Bill. I think the quarterback opportunities to run the ball are going to take some of the yardage and some of the opportunities away from the running backs. And, you know, again, it, it, it's a good set of backs. It's It's nothing that, you know, nobody should sit here and say, I am definitely not saying that they're a they're below average. I'm just saying to expect them to carry the offense is asking quite a bit. Uh, and the group that's going to have to help those guys, quarterback and, and running backs, is the offensive line. And guys, I, I have some quotes that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, uh, coming from the, a couple of the offensive linemen. And you know, uh, this come from Tyler Jordan. Uh, just was talking about the scrimmage last week. Quote: First half was very slow. Our demeanor was very lethargic. Coach Mullen talked to us after, said, this is the swamp. We don't play at that standard. And then added uh, from uh, Fred Johnson, his message was just like, get up and go, basically. No being timid. You mess up, you mess up at 100%. Speed, effort, all of that. Now, I know these guys are still learning and swimming a little bit, but at least make sure the effort's there. And after last year, especially the Michigan game, uh, you know everything that happened around that with, with kind of Michael Wayne calling them out and look, we've you – know, Fans in general have kind of called out this offensive line of being of not living up to standards, not being uh, tough, not being playing with not playing with a mean streak. Uh, to come out, you know, in a scrimmage top situation and, and kind of being lethargic, as Tyler Jordan said, you know, it's kind of inexcusable uh, to me. Uh, you have to come out firing the ball, and we've heard this, uh, you know, from, from Dan Mullen uh, of doing the relentless effort thing, and you know. See the first half of the scrimmage, these guys didn't line up and come off the ball and play with that mean streak. So uh, I didn't think that the effort part would necessarily be a problem. Yes, these guys are, are playing from behind a little bit. I think the defense is well ahead. I think the install is still being put in on the offense, and that's hurting the offensive line more than anything. But at least, like Fred Johnson said, Dan Mullen said, at least go 100% speed, effort, all of that, all the time. Okay, I'm going to be a little ugly here. I I'm not sure I buy it. Um, okay, because if you got an offensive lineman getting beat and say, hey, man, come on, you need to pick it up. I feel like you're not really with it and you need to fire off the ball and hit the guy in front of you and drive him off the ball. You can't say, stop letting him manhandle you. <laughs> I think these guys might be getting beat by the defensive lineman with regularity. I think the defensive line is deep, and I think they've got some real players on it. Um, I kind of felt like it was coach speak. I think they're getting beat. They're just getting beat, and I think they're going to be looking for some personnel answers there. You're probably going to see some pieces. We've heard Nick Buchanan might be making a little bit of a move uh, at center. We'll see if 
he's able to do that. Uh, we know they, they were hoping to get something out of Chris Blake and uh, Noah Banks. We'll see if maybe they can unseat some of these guys that are entrenched in there. Uh, offensive line needs help, and if and they're either going to have to step up and, and assert themselves, they're going to have to get stronger and better, or they're going to have to get the guys in there that can do it. And I, I don't say that to be disrespectful of the players that are in there. And I believe that they're giving their all to the university, but that position needs to be better. I, I think I think lethargic maybe is a. I don't know if that's the right word. I think timid is what I would have said last year, especially against Michigan. They got sort of popped in the mouth and didn't know how to respond. And, and you know, it's, it's you don't go 100% when you're not sure about your assignments, when you're not sure that the guy next to you is going to be there to help you out, to where you know you might – to where you know you're going to hear about it if you screw up, those sorts of things. So maybe that's it if we give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's that they came out a little bit timid. I mean, certainly I think that is a description we could use to uh, describe McIlwain in some of his press conferences last year. <laughs> if we wanted to be generous, maybe lethargic would be good for those too. But, uh, you know, to, to Bill's point, I mean, Juwan Taylor was 941st in terms of his national rank. Fred Johnson, 1360. TJ McCoy, 1616. Brett Heggie, who wasn't out there, is 547. But, uh, you know, and, and then you look at Martez Ivy, who's second, but certainly hasn't played up to being second nationally thus far. Um, you know, that if you put guys in the thousand range on the offensive line, that's the kind of performance you're going to get. You know, and, and to your point, Bill, if the guy across from you has more talent, then you're going to get beat. And, and that's a place where talent really, really shines through is on the offensive and defensive lines. And, and you know, it, it's not as if we haven't seen the offensive line get manhandled before. So, um, you know, it, it's, it, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that that's a work in progress. The hope is, is that if they can make things simpler, then when you get blown off the ball, it's a one-yard loss rather than a six-yard loss on a stretch play. And then you live to fight another day. And that may be what next year has to be, is that there are just going to be some plays and some teams where you're going to struggle. But certainly, hopefully, some of the other guys step in and step up. And, uh, you know, you got Garage coming in and you got you got the Blake and Banks and those sorts of guys. And eventually, those guys are going to start to start to understand what's going on with the offense and hopefully be able to push these guys. But, uh, you know, we saw it last year, so I don't know that it should be a surprise this year. Um, it is a good sign that the defensive line is starting to shine a little bit. Um, and, and maybe it's, you know, maybe it's less the offensive line or at least not all on the offensive line. And some of it is the really, really good players on the defensive line. I mean, you know, Bill's guy, Antonius Clayton, very, very high ranked. If he starts to show through at that potential, then he's going to, you know, but it, he's, he, he has the potential to be a very good player. Elijah Conliffe to Daryl Slayton, all those guys, very highly ranked. And if they're playing up to their potential, really should be able to blow those offensive linemen off the ball. Well, it's like, it's like Will knew where I was going next. Uh, <laughs> you know, talking about this defensive line and, 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 and in relation to this offensive line, is the defensive line looking good because they are getting better and, and certain players are starting to show up or are they taking or, or are they taking advantage of an offensive line that that's not all there right now? You know, Brett Hagee needs to come back as well in the fall. That's a key player. They'll get back uh, in all, along that offensive line rotation. Uh, but, you know, it, it does seem like Antonius Clayton in, in particular, Bill, and you can definitely speak more to him uh, than we can, but it does look like, you know, an unsung player who – We've been waiting on. It's finally starting to emerge, and it will ho hopefully, it can take uh, take part in spring as well, or take part in fall as well. 
Yeah, you know, Clayton's a guy that I've, I've kind of been waiting on him to break out. And I believe that he's going to. Um, you know, in, in early in spring, everything we heard that he was on the third team, he was falling behind Zach Carter, uh, falling behind just a host of people. And just very quiet. And, you know, everybody that was covering it just really wasn't seeing him make plays. And then the night before the scrimmage, it was brought to my attention that according to the Gator staff recorded stats of what was happening in their in their documented plays in practice. There were 22 sacks, I think it was, or 21 sacks recorded by the team. And that was like through, through the first week and a half of practice. And Clayton had eight of them. And I was like, what in the world? He's got eight of them. He's got eight of the 22 sacks. And so I had mentioned it on the Gator Bait board, uh, which is now Swamp 247, that, uh, that this was happening. And I saw where Conliffe, uh, who I think had also been struggling at the nose behind Kyrie Clark, Kerry Clark, um, that he had had the most tackles for loss with four on the team. And then sure enough, they come out the day of the scrimmage and dominate. And Clayton had about five sacks. I think it was like two and a half or three official, but he actually got quarterback more than that. Uh, he moved up from the third to the second team. And so if you guys remember about a week ago, I had tweeted right before the, the scrimmage that I, I felt like Mullen might be using the depth chart to motivate very reminiscent of what Urban Meyer used to do to his press conferences in the depth chart, because you got Elijah Conlon on the second team. You got to Daryl Slayton on the second team. You got, uh, Antonio's Clayton was on the third team. Now he's on the second and, and no disrespect to the guys in front of him, but I feel like that is your, that's your war horses right there. That's the guys that have, are the blue chip talents that the, the, um, the guys that really have a lot of potential to be all SEC players and then sure enough, they come out and dominate the scrimmage. Now, to answer your question, is that due to struggling offensive line? Some of it, I'm sure it absolutely is. But anytime you have success on the field, some of it is because you're just having success on the field. So the, the question is, can they translate that to SEC play? And I kind of think they can with those three. Yeah, I'd be interested to see, you know, Clayton's kind of that more hand-in-the-dirt defensive end right now. And also, you look at C.C. Jefferson and Ja'Kai Polite are guys who are probably going to be standing up on the edges. And, and we haven't heard too much about those guys. You know, they're, they're kind of solid right now. Uh, but they're playing that more rush in, uh, kind of stand up. And But, you know, they've been in the backfield as well. But, you know, it's guys, it's been a while. And I can – you probably have to go back to, what, Dante Fowler since Florida's had a, a defensive line, a defensive end where the opposing offense had to know where that guy was, where he was lining up, had to worry about him every, you know, every snap of the ball of whether he was just going to bull rush into the backfield and, and come and become a problem play after play. Florida hasn't had that defensive end pretty much since then. So, yes, can CC Jefferson – Polite be be that type. Uh, Zuniga, can he show up in bigger games? Uh, can Antonius Clayton bring it to the fall? And, and, and Jeremiah Moon as well. Uh, kind of before spring started, kind of picked him out to be, you know, one of the more more athletic guys on the on the field. Can and and it does seem these names that we're bringing up are really uh, kind of you know, having their way with this offense and this offensive line right now. Well, and you could add more names to that. Yeah, you're you're right. Uh, we've heard good things. I think Moon had a couple sacks in the scrimmage. Uh, I think Marlon Dunlap has done pretty well. The transfer from University of North Carolina that hasn't seen the field yet in an official capacity. Uh, but certainly Polite and Zuniga. And, I mean, I just think they're looking very good up front. Uh, did get it some player weights uh, on the defensive line. I know uh, Conliffe is playing at 320 right now. Clayton's at 261. And then uh, Slayton is at 340, I believe. So they can be very big, very physical, and very disruptive up front, which is – exactly what they need if they're going to implement this defensive system right now. 
Well, and and the important thing is that you're naming names. So we're starting to get, we're starting to see some depth. And really, when you looked last year, a lot of, a lot of the issues came down to depth at linebacker, depth on the defensive line, and eventually those things broke down. And when they did, then the defense couldn't hold up. And and certainly there was other stuff going on with the coaching and all sorts, of, <laughs> and the coaches being let go and that sort of stuff. But at the same time, it was very clear that the depth on the defensive line, the depth at linebacker was was relatively lacking. Once there were a couple injuries, it was just like a dam broke. And so the more and more these young guys can step up and play meaningful snaps then the more depth you have and the better off you're going to be if you do get an injury or a couple of injuries. And you know they're going to happen throughout the year. You hope they don't all happen at once, but depth is really the concern you got to worry about. Dave, I know you and I have talked about specifically the linebacker recruiting and the defensive line recruiting and that just under McIlwain, it wasn't really very good in terms of in terms of overall numbers, especially when you compared them to Florida State, you know, sort of going after the same guys. And you look at top 300 guys and just total numbers and all that sort of stuff. So, So the fact that these young guys are stepping up really gives a component of depth that is that is my biggest worry on the defensive side of the ball. Bill, anything else, man? Uh, yeah, one other thing uh, on the defensive side of the ball, as far as that goes, uh, speaking of depth, I actually reached out to Amari Bernie, who's been on the show before, and uh, I wanted to check in on him, see how he was doing, and he mentioned that he was uh, playing at 214 right now. Uh, I know some people had asked about that because it, it was speculated that he's a you know big kid for safety that you slide down a linebacker. And I told I told him that I was going to tell you guys that he was two sixty and rotating in with CC Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> but he said no, he's back at safety, and um, and I, you know I've heard good things about him. Heard he's flying around and hitting people and showing some pretty good ball skills back there. So um, I think they added a good crop of players in this last recruiting class and really in the 2016 group as well, as far as helping out that defense. And I'm, and I'm hoping we start to see not only quality depth, but we see those starters take a step forward. And I, I think we're going to see that on, on the defense uh, if we get the contributions we hope from the key players. Yeah. And guys that must be key. And we can just quickly hit on this bill because you know, we, ha- we haven't talked much about these guys uh, before uh, we go here. I think it's imperative, guys, and I think we're seeing it that at least one, and probably Van Jefferson uh, over Trayvon Grimes, but one of those guys really has to, to to be eligible this fall for this receiver core to kind of kind of be where we want them to be, just because we you know we haven't really seen much from Josh Hammond, Freddie Swain uh, right now, and you know it's part of us the quarterbacks as well, um, and, and we're not seeing everything, but it, it's pretty clear. Uh, that Van Jefferson and Trayvon Grimes so far this spring have been the guys that the quarterbacks need to get the ball in their hands. Yeah, they need those guys in the worst way. Um, They just really do. There still needs to be more talent. And again, that's no disrespect to the roster, but they just, you got to keep getting better. And uh, there's certain positions where they need some depth and they need some help, you know, uh, on the front line at certain others Um, and, and wide receivers, one where they need some more bodies. They've had some, some guys dinged up there. Is, is Cleveland back yet, or is he still hurt? Uh, he's still, uh, as far as the scrimmage, didn't take part in the scrimmage, and I know they got practice this week um, that uh, is um, is not open. So, uh, you know, they'll probably have to wait and, and see if they actually just let us know if those guys are practicing or not. Him, him and Dre Massey both have, you know, haven't really taken part in spring so far. Yeah, and so think about the swing there. You could be without – Right now, you could be without Massey, you could be without Cleveland, you could be out Grimes without Jefferson, or you could have all four of those guys. And that's, I mean, that's half of receiving core at least uh, for your roster. So, yeah. Oh, one other thing I did hear um, was asking around. Apparently, the safeties are, are 
all cross trading. Somebody had asked me about that, you know, how locked in were like the DBEs to each position. And apparently there's some cross trading going on. And I heard uh, somebody mentioned not only Bernie, but Donovan Steiner's one I've heard some good feedback on. And so apparently there's some good things happening in camp, some good dialogue with the coaches going on with the players and a lot of positive mojo right now. Let's see if that continues. Let's see how that <laughs> let's see how that translates when we get in the fall. And that's what spring is for. That's right. When that when the helmet starts slapping and the and the scoreboard starts lighting up, we'll see how that holds. Hopefully it's lighting up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully half of it is lighting up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a good point. <laughs> Will, anything else on reading reaction? What's your, you, I know you just released your running back article and how, how they could carry the team. Uh anything you, you know what's coming up next? Yeah, we got a couple more quarterback articles coming up. Case fours. Again, this is not necessarily my personal opinion. It's my breakdown of the guy. Um, so a couple of those coming up. Hopefully people will enjoy that. And then, uh, and then, man, it'll be interesting after the spring game. We'll, um, probably have a spring game preview up next week, what to look for. And then afterwards, obviously, there will be a review of that. Yep. All right, Bill, calls the doors back open. Time, time to go back in now. <laughs> <laughs> You say I'm in the closet? <laughs> well, I, as soon as I said that, I was like, oh, man, that's not good. That's all right. I didn't mean it that way. My life would be so much simpler. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did, you, did, did your wife listen to the podcast? <laughs> no, not always, no. <laughs> what you got going on, Bill, for real? Um. Well, I got to work tonight, and uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, we, get off we, about six. I'm gonna put my top water rod in the car, and so and try a five hour energy for the first time. Yeah, I am gonna probably have to do some five hour energy tonight, and then uh, when I go off work, do a little bass fishing where everybody's awake, and then uh, come and crash, and then I'll be off for the weekend. So, not sure yet what I'm gonna do. Have you binge watched uh, the Last Jedi since it's come out and video? <laughs> It was going so well, Dave. <laughs> no, I, I still hate that movie. I hate it even worse now. I don't like the director. I don't know. You don't want me to get started. Well, didn't you like accost some kid at Disney World or something? Who? Uh, like, no, no, no. I, I was at the uh, the Hollywood Studios for Disney, and uh, the stormtrooper came up to me, and I can't remember what he said to me. And he goes, you look like trouble or something. I said, the force of, not the force awakens. I said, the last Jedi was a terrible movie. <laughs> he just gave me this blank, pitiful stormtrooper stare. And he's like, that wasn't our training, you know? <laughs> Are all their stairs blank? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm just saying, there was, you had to be there. <laughs> all right. Remember, you can find Bill on Twitter at RealBSykes. That's S-I-K-E-S. Um, follow him on Twitter for all his Gator interaction there and on the uh, Swamp 24-7 boards. Uh, thanks to Thomas Goldcamp and uh, Blake and those guys for uh, joining us recently uh, as well. We'll get them back on soon. You can join Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and find his articles at readandreaction.com. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. So thanks, for uh, Bill, for, for joining us back in. Uh, you know, Will and I, we, we've missed you, Bill. Yeah, I need one of those hats, Dave. You need to hook that up. Where, uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, details, details soon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's always good to be on, man. And I hopefully we'll be back on soon. So. Absolutely, absolutely. So, all right, for uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls out there, thanks for listening to Gators Breakdown.